Welcome back. Welcome back, and, and and welcome for the first time, those of you who haven't tuned in before. True. Yeah. We're bad for that. Master yeah. Keys Podcast. I'm Neil Andrino. I'm Chandler Hellebert, and this is episode 25, which means we're halfway through the year. Yeah. Great time for you to check out the brand new like button that they've got, apparently, on YouTube. Bad time to be getting a loan. Bad time. <laughs> Terrible time in all kinds of respects, but yeah. the like button has much improved. Check it out. Subscribe. Follow. I don't know if they changed the little bell ringy thing. Only one way to find out, people. The bell ringy thing. Click it. Click on that bell ring. Subscribe ringy thing. Yeah, thanks for all of you out there who are, are following along. We got crazy stuff going on this week. Every week, things get crazier. Uh, the Fed, which is the U.S. Central Bank, jacked their target rate by 0.75, which has um, made it a little bit easier for the Bank of Canada to go, maybe us too. Mm-hmm. Even though everyone was thinking it was only 50 basis points, which, to be clear, 50 basis points was like the biggest increase in the Bank of Canada rate in 20-plus years. And now they're like, eh, 50's easy. Let's exactly. see if 75 will break anything. It's been the 90s since they did it 75. So that's crazy. Also, a lot of stuff locally. Yeah, so locally, there's some changes on immigration, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, then there's some other stuff going on in the metaverse. Ooh, some castles yeah. being built, some big brands making some moves. Yep, Bitcoin so. getting trashed, Ethereum, all the crypto space is getting destroyed. Yep. I kind of, as I don't want to say we predicted, but I think we may have talked about this a few podcasts ago, why it's always good to listen. You know what? I was saying I wish we cataloged some of our back episodes because there's nothing better than going back like, see, we told you so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we got all kinds of stuff. We're also going to talk more and more about inflation and rates. Specifically, I've been getting, I'm sure you have as well, questions about do we go variable, do we go fixed? Do we go variable, people. do we go fixed? We have disagreements and on this. We have some disagreements on that, so we're going to unpack it. But I think it also is worthwhile to spend some time um, explain it to people how these rates are actually set. Like if you have a variable rate, we're going to talk about how that rate is set and what these bank central bank rates are. At a digestible level. At a digestible level. And, you know, we're going to save that for later. These for interest rate articles are a little bit boring. They are. And me explaining them is probably even more boring. Good but we're chance. going to do it anyway because, <laughs> you know, so any of the nerds out there who are into, like, how are these interest rates actually set? Check out for that. Um, and tons of stuff going on in the market that we're going to talk about. Not, not a lot of it good. Most of it bad. Yeah. What's it going to mean? But uh, as always, what's shaking? Not much. You've been slow news-wise, but you did have a nice little purchase. What did Neil buy? Oh, we're talking about the car? Yeah, I'm talking about the car. Oh, okay. I bought a I bought a car. Um, everyone, actually, you know, it's funny that I'm starting to have some people message me about cars <laughs> more so than real estate. Yeah. Um, but... I just bought a little Mustang, a uh, manual Mustang. It's like a 2012, and I'm turning into a drift car. Neil's a little young to be having a midlife crisis here, but he bought himself a little Mustang I'm, convertible. I've been having it, and uh, yeah, it's it's an older car, but it's it's stick. And basically, I went to drift school there a few weeks ago. I can't remember if I mentioned I it on here. Yeah, I think yeah. I did, and I loved it. I thought it was so fun. Like Drifting is kind of an art. It's not like you're not worried about your times and this and that. It's kind of about how much fun you can have ripping around certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a drift car. I also will preface this with, I went to drift school because I crashed my last car trying to drift. Okay. And so I figured it was time to get some professional help. And so I did that. And now, I, yeah, so I just bought this. I got it today. I'm getting the diff like locked and welded for anyone who knows what that stuff is. I have no idea what any of this means. And I'm going to put steering spacers on it. Long story short, it's going to do sick burnouts and slide around and make a bunch of noise. Just when you thought Neil couldn't get more obnoxious. <laughs> just kidding, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got a master key sticker going on. The, on the I door. just would love to see you just drift up to uh, a tenant's apartment building. Oh, just no. like rip around the corner, like <laughs> slide. In, oh. 
in in my true fashion for buying vehicles, though, I think I got a smoking deal on it. You did get a smoking deal. In fact, I think you might sell it to me when you're done with it. Exactly. It's going to be great. I'm going to hoon it all summer, and then I'm going to sell the Chandler at a profit. It's a win all the way around. <laughs> Things are coming up, Neil. Um, no, that's good. What about uh, in the real estate and investment world? What's oh, going real on? estate. Uh, Remember that thing we used to do? <laughs> the thing I used to do back in the day. Um, again, Ugh. I am the lamest, most boring person right now. All I am doing is I am parking. I'm not buying anything unless it's a crazy deal. And there's no crazy deals coming across my plate right now. There's lots of deals coming across the table, but they're all, I find, overpriced. And it's funny to see everyone's dropping their prices. Like I mm-hmm. found three months ago, someone was like, oh, I want $2 million. I, get, I didn't even, I wasn't even asking them. I got another text. I would do 1.8. But when, when we had it, we had it un- yeah. under contract for 2 million. We went back for 1.8. Hard no. Right? Got another one, same deal. They dropped 10% yep. in price. It was a 5 million and they're willing to drop 10%. And so like, there's a ton mm-hmm. of stuff where people are are kind of starting to question it. And I mean, we'll again, go further into those interest rates and why they're doing that. But it's, uh, it's interesting to see. And so I'm kind of, pumping the brakes and I'm super hard on trying to get my rentals done. Like like it's all pressure on trying to get people materials. But what, you know, it's funny. I think you mentioned this is I found there to be a little bit more availability. Yeah. A little more availability and also some trades people asking for their money a little quicker. I've definitely been getting hounded for money a little bit quicker. And also, yeah, I had some people quote some stuff today that can start tomorrow. And I'm like, I haven't had that in two years, three years. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, and the price wasn't too bad. That's promising. We talked lumber, I think, is down Lumber's 50% down. in the last uh, last three months or something like that. Yeah, and roughly. I don't know that that has trickled down to the Kent or Home Depot prices um, that us as a consumer get because they've, they've got their back inventory. But um, things are turning that way. I love hearing that. Yeah. And this also, um, everyone that is like, yeah, bring on that great reset. I hope things fall apart, blah, 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 blah. They're talking mainly from a place of real estate frustration where yep. they want this collapse of the real estate market. They do not understand everything that goes along with it, which means their job may be gone as part of this great reset. Mm-hmm. Or say they're a tradesperson who all of a sudden is available and willing to do the work for less, for less than they were you know, a few months ago. So um, it's not like any great reset that some you know, social media warriors are, are clamoring. Everybody's going to feel this. Everyone's, everyone's going to feel it for sure. Um, and if we've looked at any resets in the past and you don't have to go that far because you can consider the start of the pandemic a reset, it tends to work out best for the people who have a lot of money. I was just about to say, and everyone hates the 1% and this is who they're hoping the great reset hits the hardest. It's not going to hit them. It never, yeah, exactly. They have the wherewithal and the ability to uh, just outstand it. And then they have the ability to make the investments and the purchases when things are down to capitalize on the new growth that comes to be. So yeah, in general, 100%. we just need to be more cognizant and like, uh, we haven't done the full conspiracy episode yet. I'm dying. But I'm all, I'm, we're, we might get into that a little later in the episode if you want to hear conspiracy, cause I'm, I'm jumping on board almost two feet. Um, but we got a lot to talk about between now Let's and then. Go. Uh, so you're not seeing any, any hot deals. Not but there really. must be a threshold. Like a deal might, you know, come uh, along. There's some that are okay. And like, I'm like, ah, oh, if things pan out and like I put them at higher caps at the end and I run worse interest rates and I'm like, well, they're still not bad. But like I said, it's just pretty nerve wracking, especially where like similar to you, I think I'm trying to make the leap from like small three story wood frame multi units into like a real building mm-hmm. and just the multipliers on the numbers become so much more that I'm like, man, if this hit misses, like it's seven figures, like every, if you miss by like a, a point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I'm just, I'm in a very awkward position. And the other thought is, is like, if you're smart with it during this time, it might allow you whatever stage you're at to jump to the next step. Like 
let's say right now you're buying duplexes and triplexes and single family homes and you're really wanting to get your first purpose built multi. I think within a year's time from today, there might be an opportunity for someone who needs to get rid of their multi-unit. Yeah. And you might be able to get in at a reasonably good deal mm-hmm. that you couldn't have gotten in the, in the spring of this year. I, I agree. Yeah. And I think, and I, yeah. I think there's going to be from those guys going in those mid-frame, uh, wood-frame multis that want to go into a bigger purpose built or into a development play, there's going to definitely be some people that need to offload chunks of land mm-hmm. that you will get great deals on. And this might give you an opportunity to do that. So like I'm and they'll have to be a great deal because if your rate is higher and your debt service ratio is changed, like there, it'll have to be that deal. And that's why it's it's some of it is being quote unquote opportunistic, but some of it is going to the seller and being like, yeah, I can't get the money you want for it. It doesn't exist out there in in the lending market. And this is something I want to talk about. I think we talked about it a bit, a bit last time, and this is the part that you need to consider. I mean, like not everyone's just going to hold through. A lot of people think, well, just hold out through it, the whole thing. If any of them have a renewal during this time, which I guarantee there's lots of people who have renewals during this mm-hmm. time, there's two things that are going to happen. They're either going to be like, wow, I'm rent capped at 700 bucks a month per unit. And now when I do my renewal on the current mortgage that I have, not adding any value to it, I am now yeah, just wanting super to, negative cash yeah. flow. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not really interested in carrying this anymore. And I can't increase my rents to cover any of this cost. Or if they had recently remortgaged and they have to do a new renewal that's one or two years up, and the debt service doesn't hit anymore, the bank may force their hand into selling the property or say, yeah. hey, look, we're only like, we know we extended 2 million to you on this property. Now, due to interest rates being up two and a half percent, we're only willing to in- extend you 1.7 million. So you need to give us back 300 grand yeah. to keep carrying this property. And I think there is some people, there's a lot of refis that went yeah, through the last Yeah, that's when the refi years. works the opposite of the exactly. way you're hoping. It's a refi where you don't take money <laughs> out. It's a refi where you get to put more money in. Yeah. So Someone, um, actually, you know, shout out Igor and Scott from the Bentley Group. Uh, if you look back on our episodes, you remember when Igor came in, he's a mortgage broker here in Halifax. I've been talking to them a lot about this interest rate stuff because they're obviously very knowledgeable and I, I find it super interesting. And Igor and I had this conversation about you know, he kind of asked you like, as a person who owns real estate, like, what do you think about the future? And we've talked about this a little bit and I, and I love these ideas aren't fully, you know, formulated yet. Uh, and I, I feel a big security of, and, and I feel very fortunate that I have my piece of the pie, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, it's better to be in than not in right now, regardless, yep. even if the market is going down, it's better to be owning real estate as it goes down than not owning real estate. And I don't care everyone out there who's trying to sit on the sidelines and think this could be a buying opportunity. It's like, well, you'd still rather not have the transactional costs and, and the uncertainty of not owning anything at all right now. Um, long term, you know, I see, I can see a situation whereby they really crack down on the ability to refinance. Um, Mm -hmm. and if it becomes a situation where, you have to carry a minimum of 35% equity in every property at all times. Um, will that stifle growth? Absolutely. Will it be a bit of a bummer, <laughs> for lack Absolutely. of a better term? And, and, you know, however, on the flip side then, all the properties are going to cash flow better. So if, 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 if they're going to try to implement some fiscal or monetary policy whereby, oh, we're going to protect Canadians from themselves and make sure that they don't have over leverage, well, then there's opportunities to make more money month to month. There is more opportunities to make money month to month, but all it really does in my eyes is it makes it more difficult for the next set of people to try and grow through the systems. Oh, yeah. It's That's like when you look at the previous generation, they were offering 100% loan to values and this and that to make things happen and projects and on and on and on. Yeah. 
now as they continue to add more rules, more requirements, debt service ratios, they go like worse and worse on the leverage ratios. It to make the leap to go from owning houses to owning purpose built to actually building buildings will be so much more difficult. Like that's gonna think about that when they won't be able to refi yeah. out that money. Oh my god! Oh, how it, in the world? It, it's gonna become a time game. It's like okay, so now I have to. It's a two takes two generations to get the cash together to actually buy and build a property. And you know, you they will quickly realize well the month to month profit may be better, but um, it's not gonna be enough to make a living off of. Yeah. And so they will sell, and who will they sell out to? There's a very small handful of corporations, not yep. people, that can on mass acquire Black properties. Rock. Um, and or Blackstone um, that can acquire uh, these holdings with that sort of equity requirement. Yeah. Um, And listen, we're going to do a conspiracy episode. Are you ready for our next episode where it's going to be all conspiracy? I'm literally a conspiracy sitting here. Here's the teaser for the conspiracy episode. The Bank of Canada promises that interest rates are going to be low for up until the end of 2023. This is what they promise. Everyone goes out there and as per their instruction, Borrows, 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 drives the rates through the roof, and then they go, oops, sorry, or dri- drives pricing and inflation through the roof, mm-hmm. and then they go, oh, on second thought, we uh, we changed our mind, we're going to jack the interest rates, and now all of a sudden, you own a bu- you are extensively leveraged, um, you can't afford your bills, who's going to sweep in and buy out all this debt, right? Did I not? I you didn't agree with me last time I talked about this. No, you talked about is it is it them flashback to, clip from season two episode whatever. This was very recently. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, my conspiracy is I think the banks lined all this shit up, and you're like, no, no, no. But you said they lined them up to Are protect you getting paid us off from by themselves. The Bank of Canada? <laughs> Are you in on this? Listen, that's the next episode. Chandler always comes episode. from another meeting downtown <laughs> before he gets to these podcast. I'm recordings. actually turning right here as if I were from Bank of Canada. <laughs> uh, conspiracy episode next time. We're not going to go too too far into it, but. You're getting paid off. I would love to get paid off right now. I am <laughs> very much for sale, Bank of Canada, if you want. <laughs> I will say whatever you want. Let me know. I love Big Brother. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so you're, you're sitting on the sidelines a little bit, but you're working Sidelining, on the Sidelining, I'm, I'm heavy pushing on the ones that I have now. Appraisal still came back even higher than when I thought originally again, which is amazing. So hopefully even if I can get 65% out, I'll be where I was when I bought them expecting to get like 75, 80. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing is I've beat all the rents that are in those. I'm, I'm doing 6% cap rates. So I'm feeling fairly comfortable. If, even if the rates go up a bunch more that I should be able to survive. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It's playing through my head though. I'm like, wow, like I'm one of those people that got in this market when the market was hot, the rates were down. Mm-hmm. I leveraged my way up. And so overall relative to my appraisals well, i'm not that bad on loan to value but it's still nerve-wracking to think like if anything changes which is what's happening now it's funny that rates are shooting up this fast and you're, you're renewing into fixed in a lot of cases aren't you uh, exactly yeah and i'm like mm, should i be doing that especially with everything up so high but on the flip side i'm like mm, do i want to wait another year and potentially then be higher and then i have to pay back some of the money that i got out um so i'm definitely like man why couldn't this be like Eight months later, because I would be done all of my projects. Um, or why couldn't you have gotten them done eight months earlier? Or why couldn't you have gotten them done? You know, but what, eight, eight months ago, you would have said, like, oh, I'm going to roll variable because they're sending, saying that it's going to be this and blah, blah. Exactly. Based yeah. on what they said, I had some time. And to be honest with you, I did plan everything done by the end of this year, which would suggest that I would have been right on time and target for what I wanted, where I was supposed to be based on the Bank of Canada. I made the kind of funny move and, and didn't realize that they would be in advance. And now I look back, I'm like, I wonder why those sellers were so keen to sell. And it's like, they're all older gentlemen that have probably been through this before. And they I feel like they could see the writing on the wall. 
Um, uh, of course, they could see it because when we were trying to get them to sell, we told them about the writing. It's like, gosh, have you noticed how prices of everything are going on? <laughs> we would. This is the pitch. Like when you talk to these old guys and you try to get them to sell a property, you're like, man, can you believe the price of oil these days, sir? <laughs> oh yeah, it's so expensive. Like yeah, man, it's hard to make a living, isn't it? And you know what? I think insurance premiums are on the way up too, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, they really are. Like, yeah, that's right. And then they sell them to you and it's like, oh, yeah, all those things are 100% true. I wasn't just bluffing. Those are real things. And I now I'm facing those yeah. at a hard level. But um, what was I going to say? But, yeah, anyway, so it, it's a it's an interesting time to be going through all of this and just wanting to get it all done, get out what I can and kind of just be prepared to, to weather the storm. Because mm-hmm. I do strongly believe this will be a storm. For Check 12 back. months probably, right? I, I'm thinking 1824, if Ooh. not longer. And my other thing that I keep reminding and trying to say, I was yeah. trying to say this in the last podcast, is when you look at, let's say, a 25, 30% drop in prices, that's a that's a six or seven year storm at the end of the day. Because you look at, if it's 100 grand today and it drops 30% to $70,000 in the next year, and then we resume average growth, which is about 4%, it's going to take another six years for that to go back. And they can fact check all my math. I cannot tick- wait for TikTok. TikTok's, TikTok's about to map. blow it up, but Brad and Tristan better clip this properly so it has all the stuff in there. <laughs> but if you compound 4% yeah, over yeah, six yeah, years, yeah. it comes up to roughly 30%. It's a little bit lower than that, so it's probably six and a half years to get back to your actual price point. So that means if you buy a house, let's say, huh, I shouldn't even say buy a house. If, if, if the price drops from where you're at today down by 30% by the end of this year, you will not see re- your return of your value till like basically 2030. And just to put you on record here, are you projecting a 30% drop in real estate values? Um, depends on the property, but yeah, I think so. I'm not, I'm not say projecting that overall, but I, yeah, yeah, you know what I am. Yeah, I, I think so. I would say 30% is a pretty average number to go down by at this point. Because it went up by 20% year over year, multiple years. So to go down 30 is not that big of a deal. Jesus. And oh, and when sorry. we when we see what's already happened, like we're already experiencing probably about a 10%. Yeah. So yeah. like like you're seeing we're out there in the market, we're listing these houses all the time and we're seeing what stuff's selling for. We're listing and buying them all the time and I'm like, yeah, well the neighbors went for 500 or 550 and I just bought this one for 500. Like that's 10% right off the hop mm-hmm, instantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think there yeah. will be a lot of properties that'll face that. And the, again, I want, this is something, another math one that I'm going to do. Hopefully we make another clip out of this and everyone can see this is guess. I know it sounds like such a small percentage. Like, Oh, I only went up by 75 basis points. It's 0.75%. But when the baseline was 1% and let's say you're paying one and a half percent interest on your loan, when they crank it up by 0.75, that's 50% more interest. So when you boil out, let's say your mortgage payment, let's say a thousand dollars of your mortgage payment is principal and 500 is interest. When they crank that up interest by 50%, that means that 500 is now 750. Okay, so now your your mortgage payment yeah. went from 1500 to 1750. So that's a 20% increase off a 0.5 or 0.75 basis point increase. And to be clear here, Bank of Canada meets again on January 13th and conservatively, yeah, conservatively they're going to raise it 50 basis points. There's a lot of talk right now that they're it's going 0.75. USA just did 0.75. There's no way. They they just follow mm. in the footsteps and Yep. One point, so that means we've had three rate hikes, 1.75%. That's higher than what the entire base rate was to begin with and what most of you, a lot of these mortgages sit at. And so your interest payment's going to double. So if it was 1500 and 500 was interest, now it's 2000 because that interest went from 500 to 1000 Yeah. So now you're at two grand of a mortgage payment. And a lot of markets have already built in um, a 0.75, 75 basis point increase. Oh, yeah. And there's um, another one. To so that means, you know, if, if all the smart money is saying, oh, gosh, I think they're going to do 75 basis points. The other thing is they don't meet in August, I, I believe. Right. So they're kind of looking at the calendar and being like, OK, if we're not going to meet again until September. 
we maybe get a little something here. And it's all about breaking um, the resistance to it. I can't stress this enough that they hadn't done more than 25 points in a raise for 20 years. It was 95. Since so to do 50, 50, and now likely a 75 is not only shocking, but it is historically like not precedented in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, to, just to, to finish this off here, they, it was also exactly what they said they would not do. So anyone who's like, I can't believe I got a variable rate. I should have gone fixed. It's like, well, they literally came out and said, go with variable because we're going to keep these rates low for a significant amount of time. And if you were looking at, you know, history, look at history to see what the future is going to bring. Well, historically, they'd never raised it more than 25 points. People used to look at variable and say, well, if they meet meet eight times, even if they raised it every single time in the eight times, they're only raised 25. So in one year, the most they could possibly raise it would be 200 points. They're going to crush through 200 points in, you know, six months. Leading up to 08, they did 400 points. What's that? Leading up to the crash of 08? Yeah. 400 points. So, like, they're not afraid to go 200 points. The other thing, when you look at the interest charts, leading up prior to COVID, they were doing what they've always done, little quarter point increases, quarter point increases, and they were leading up to this. And so, in my opinion, now they're making up lost time. Speaking of which... We talked about this, and I was saying before we started, I wish we better cataloged our episodes previously. Anyone who might have listened from the beginning, you might remember a couple times where Bank of Canada met, and we talked about this, and I said, there's so much inflation, and there's so much money that was just printed. If this was any other time in history, they'd be raising the bank rate because, mm-hmm. you know, that's how you fight off inflation. And the only reason they didn't raise the bank rate, so there are actually two reasons they didn't raise it. One, because housing was the only thing spurring the economy along. When all the shops were closed and everyone was at home construction was and you couldn't alive. leave anywhere, the housing industry, which includes construction, was the only thing keeping the economy afloat. That's why housing recently has been upwards of 85% of GDP growth in this country. So they were wary that if, oh my gosh, if we stop housing, we'll really have nothing going on here. So they didn't raise the interest rate for that reason during the pandemic. The other reason is a lot of people took on other debts that were also tied to prime rates, mm-hmm. right? So you get a bunch of people take that are effectively unemployed, at least temporarily, who have taken on debt, and then you raise the rates, it would be disastrous. But in hindsight, they should have, right? We're now swallowing a much more difficult pill now than if we had incrementally addressed this as we went. And they didn't do it, and now they're jamming this through after the fact, and it's far worse. This is where the conspiracy comes into play. Did they make episode. a mistake? They, 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 well, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, did they make, did a, mistake they make a mistake or was this planned? Because they just said, borrow. We need borrow, to have like the, like, borrow. do, 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 like the crazy spooky music playing. Yeah. So, you know, I have a number of variable products. I'm still personally rolling with those variable products because certainly now is not the time that I feel I w- want to be locking into to fixed rates. But the reason that I took on those products, you know, they were insanely low and you were being told by the Bank of Canada that they're going to keep them that low. So why would you not do it? Also, if you look at the amount that I've been ahead over the last, call it 12 to 18 months on those variable products, it's been fantastic. And while they're now going up quite a bit, if you look at what the 
you know, fixed rate is at now, which is like 4.8, probably going to be five or maybe over five by the time this comes out, you know, there's still a decent little gap there. I think most of my variable products, because Prime is like 3.7. And so if you're on a product that might be uh, like Prime minus 0.5, your variable's floating around 3.2. That's still a pretty darn big gap between the posted rate of 5% right now. So as these increases come, and now I think the, the Fed in the States, they're predicting is going to be 3.4 by the end of the year. They were expecting Canada was going to be around 3 by the end of the year. So we're talking another 1.5 points. That puts most variable products out there probably around upper 4s by the end of this year. Yeah. Right? Like that's still a decent spread. And even if it goes higher, maybe it does go to 3.4 in Canada as well. That's still, you know, that's two points higher than we are now. That puts people around five and a half on their variable rates. Yeah, I, I expect exactly. I was expecting on a variable rate, you're probably going to end the year on five and a half, six. Oh, I, don't, I don't see six. I, I see... Fine, five, five and a half It also depends what your sure. variable product is. So we're going to talk a little bit when I get to my nerd out section about how variable rates, you know, all, all that stuff yeah. is kind of set. But... Um, let, let's bounce around here to some local news because there's some stuff going on. We, we've talked yeah, on, a lot on, about... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, we've talked a lot about the housing issue here in Halifax, and this is a, a micro-focused issue here in Halifax, at least what we talk about, but it is a Western worldwide uh, issue. Recently, HRM identified four park sites where unhoused individuals can tent. You okay. saw that in the news? I did see that. I didn't yeah. read into it. Um, so they've identified four sites, two in Dartmouth, two in Halifax. Um, they think this will be able to house 30 plus people between the four sites. Um, this is because there's still a shortage of space and they picked those locations based on being, they had to be 50 meters away from any school or playground or daycare. They had to be near public transit. They had to be near public washrooms. This is of course to alleviate some of the concerns of residents, uh, while also making sure it was a good fit for, for the people who'd be living there. I think, and not to sound cynical, the reason they identified these specific parks is so that now if someone tents in a different park, they can say, you're not allowed to park in this one because we... Uh, designated areas we that have you to, can We have park a designated in. one you can, right? So, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I get it. It works, I guess, in the end term. I'm not totally against it. I'm not for it. I'd be honest with you. I think the one that drives me nuts is they've, like, allocate so much money towards all these programs and towards, like, housing affordability and homelessness and this and that. I feel like I see an announcement every two weeks for, like, the government set aside another $2 million for this. And then we another person donated $500,000. And I'm like, man, there is millions and millions and millions of dollars that are going into it. And I'm like, why are they not just building like some shit? Like why there's so many empty lots. Just go build a homeless shelter. Like why in the world are they yeah. not just being like, all right, the government decided to take the 50 million that they have in holdings yeah. and, and they print money. They print money like it's nobody's business anyways. Mm-hmm. Build a homeless shelter. It's going to create a bunch of jobs. Build the structure and donate it to Red Cross, someone to run. Well, this is the, this is the thing. Like they refuse to run it themselves, right? So well, it has donate to donate the building to someone else. I bet you if they built uh, the establishment, there's gonna be a bunch of companies that'd be willing to take it on to run it for them. Yeah. Versus this, like it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I just keep seeing the idea of like, well, we hired so and so to do a study. It's gonna take uh, sixteen months. It's gonna cost four hundred thousand dollars, and they're gonna let us know if there's homeless people in Halifax. And you're like, no, oh guess God. what? I can save you the four hundred thousand yeah. dollars in sixteen months, and uh, I can tell you there are homeless people in Halifax. I'll and do if it you, for three hundred thousand. I will do it for three hundred thousand. And if you build a homeless shelter in any of the locations of any piece of land the government owns, it'll be full. Yeah, yeah, because they're over capacity now, and there's something like six thousand people on a wait list for housing support right now. That's six thousand people. That's a just, lot of people. Like, build it and donate them. Build it and donate them. I to think non for profits. Yeah. This is, a, this is a total digression, but I was going to talk about how they raise parking tickets. We were on here last week talking about how cool it is that they did this parking ticket thing where 
Like if you spend the money in a local shop, then you get it refunded. I'm like, man, what a great idea. Yeah. Right. And then they, I, th- I think they bait and switched this because they did that. And then they just raised the cost of parking tickets by 10 bucks. So I don't know how those two things interact <laughs> and, and someone can maybe comment on this and, and sort it out. But like, um, I feel like it was a little like, Hey, this is such a great thing. And then they slip in this $10 increase. And it always makes me wonder, like, I don't get it. Are we, are we rich or are we broke? Because we're saying everything is so expensive and my gosh, you know, maybe we should curb our spending and now they're going to raise, um, effectively what, what's tax, right? Like mm-hmm. these parking tickets are taxed. They go to the municipality. Like maybe they should curb their spending a bit unless it's on something super important like housing. But man, we're trying to do all these things for people. And then on the other hand, we just tax them. And yeah, I, I wonder this all the time. Like some days I'm like, oh, they're trying to make this into a rich province. And then they flip it with the tax. Same thing. And they're trying to help out people uh, that need housing, are facing housing issues. And then they flip it to be something else. I, I feel like it's, it swings back and forth so constantly. It's so frustrating. So I to feel respond this is to government, tense, like one hand not talking to the other. I, I don't know. I, I, um, the other thing, I'm going to move on to the next thing. And this is something to do um, with housing very heavily. Again, on a hyper-local thing, but I believe you're going to see it across the country. And this is my other biggest concern outside of interest rates and inflation is immigration. Canada's biggest business, and I've said this before, is immigration because mm-hmm. we don't let any other industry do anything here um, without just beating the crap out of them, taxing the shit out of them, yep. uh, putting in a ton of policies. So Canada is obviously a very big on immigration, and that's honestly what grows all of our main cities and really has been to the benefit of most of our cities. Some people will disagree with that, but I think it really has been to the benefit. It, it's it's literally the easiest, well, I don't know. It's one of the easiest ways to increase GDP because if you shift your aggregate demand, um, you're going to raise your GDP. And one easy way to do that is just have more people out there spending money. And well, and if we don't do like standard industry and our local population is not reproducing at a faster pace than they're basically passing away, mm-hmm. we have to do something. Otherwise, we're going to be a shrinking economy. Yeah. So they have to bring them in. Like there's no choice. Anyways, it definitely is putting a huge crunch on our housing, and that's what you've seen in all these other cities. And so now locally, Nova Scotia has what's called the Nova Scotia Express uh, Entry Program, yep. which allows people to get their PR within 12 months. PR being permanent residence. PR being permanent residence. And other provinces are, I think the shortest is about 24 months. Yeah, it's two years. And so what you're having is a ton of immigrants from other provinces moving to Halifax uh, to get their PR. And this is similar to what happened in Ontario and BC. And there's a lot of people who moved there to get their, their PRs. And so it's giving us this big growth boom. But it's also putting a big pressure on the housing growth or housing stock. And now they've actually cut that back. So it's only they're, they're changing the rules. So it's only going to be locals, local immigrants that have immigrated to Nova Scotia that can do it, which is good in and, some and, ways. And, and we're educated here. And we're exactly. And we're educated yeah. in Nova Scotia. So it's, it's locals that have from uh, that have immigrated to Nova Scotia, have gotten educated here, are going to qualify for the 12 months. So first of all, there's a ton of people that have moved here from other provinces to go through this program that are getting cut. Mm-hmm. Um, only if they made their application prior to the start of June does it count. Mm-hmm. So there's people that have up, uprooted and moved here. So you're about to have a huge, not a huge, but I'd say a, a sizable outflux. It doesn't take many thousands for Halifax to feel it. Um, and additionally, you're going to have less people wanting to come here now. Yeah. So like... This is the next thing that I'm like kind of freaking out about and kind of why I'm sidelining is I'm like, well, if they if they if interest rates crank up, costs are up and then the worst fear for me, I was like, this this is all fine. It's all fine as long as the stock is being sucked up by all the people that we have. And now they're like, oh, well, let's teeter back on some of the people, too. 
Mm-hmm. This is where I'm like, holy crap, things are changing. So yeah, and something to consider if this kind of continues moving forward. And with yeah. with this happening and this the 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 forecoming crash, we will likely change in our main federal party to a conservative party. Mm-hmm. And in general and historically, the conservative party has not been as pro immigration as a lot of the other parties. And they might understand obviously that what it requires for the economy, what it means for the economy, but it it hasn't always panned out that way. Yeah, I mean, we started this podcast right around the federal election and the People's Party of Canada. Um, one of the things of their platform was that they wanted less immigration, mm-hmm. right? And, and it was highly criticized. But this, economically, part of their argument had to do with, you know, increasing pressure on housing and, and, and things of that nature. But certainly here in Nova Scotia, we've benefited greatly from immigration, not just in the last, you know, eight years, because under McNeil, provincially made that a big push but just historically our, our city is very much i mean we're a port city so you can go back as long as you want is immigration here right like that's what's driven the economy here um blueberries again it's a it's a double-edged sword because you bring these people and that that drives increased aggregate demand but also our labor force like we are short laborers period in every sector whatever you want it to be um but the service industry and skilled tradespeople. They're giving the school away for free. They don't. You don't have to pay taxes, and they still can't get people to go. Yeah. So it's a generational shift. Yeah. Like we talked about this before. First fifty thousand dollars. If you're under, if you're under thirty years old, first fifty thousand dollars of income is going to be tax free if you go into the trades. Um, so, you know, did, did you hear though that some trades programs are free now? Totally free. Like completely free. I don't know exactly which ones they are. I'll look it up actually while we're talking here. Go ahead. But yeah, it's apparently there's like going to be, we're going to be short like 10,000 trades people by 2030. Um, but so you, you need the people to come here um, and, and to fill this labor demand on the flip side. Uh, they're also driving aggregate demand, which, which can increase some prices. So it's this tricky balance um, but part of what's caused the inflation isn't just aggregate demand. We talked about this from the jump. It's not just that demand went through the roof. Supply was the big problem. This is also why I don't know that they're going to be able to address the inflation because it's not like they can just change the cost of oil and, and blah, blah. But you could make an argument that um, increased supply would actually be a good thing for shifting um, you know, in- inflation back down if we could get things cheaper a little bit, um, which would rely on, on labor. So they're doing this as part of what is likely going to be a broader move towards slowing immigration. Um, but it could backfire. Like all these things they've tried have kind of had the opposite effect of, of what they wanted. Um, but just give some quick numbers actually, cause I did look them up in 2019, we got 7,500 new permanent residents. And I think we talked about this on the podcast, mm-hmm. 2020, obviously that dropped off a cliff because of, of the pandemic, but 2021 was the new record at over 9,000 new permanent residents in Nova Scotia. And a big part of it was what you mentioned. They could come here and they could become permanent residents in half the time as other provinces. So is they that did just come. PRs or is that people that are coming from other provinces? Uh, that's just permanent residents. Like that's people that are, who immigrate to Canada. Yes. Okay. Hmm, they refer to them as permanent residents. So I don't know if they were meant in a, you know, that in the, from the political stance or just like a, because I know term. a big majority yeah. from 2021 um, was people who moved from other provinces. There's yeah. almost like a 50-50 of people coming in from other countries and then the oh, other... Oh, gosh. Country. Yeah, the guaranteed that'd be some from province and some from out of the country. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, very interesting here locally. Um, I'm fear-mongering, but I'm scared. Yeah, what else you got there? So, where are we at here? Um, oh, we have this one, just on the continuation of these, of, I guess, being unafraid, is house sales 
year or sorry, month over month, house sales are down 8.6%, which year over year is 21%, bringing us back to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. And that's volume of transactions. Yep. So things are slowing down. I know I feel, again, we've talked about this multiple times in the last few weeks. There's a lot of listings coming on. Inventory spiking in a lot of cities. Here's an interesting one that I found really scary is in, I think it's Ontario and BC, there's one point, no, I think they said all of Canada. There's 1.3 million empty homes in Canada. That seems really what? high. Let me look at that up. Yeah, yeah, that I'm gonna, can't I'm be right. Check that can't I'm fact-checking right. that. Right. That's not right. No, how much money was, I'm telling you. There's only like 35 million people here. And I know. not all those people live in houses. Maybe one sack, half. One sack, one so sack. that means 16 million. You can't tell me that one in every 10, 10 homes is empty. Might be apartment. They might be... Uh, yeah. Something's there's not chopping. Well, Neil checks the Google web. New data shows Canada still has 1.3 million vacant homes. What? At me. February 16, 2022. Really? That's before people are freaking out about this. But there's um, over a million empty houses out there, which is the really sketchy part, because if you think back to 2008, mm, that's that what everyone's sketchy. like, oh, the difference between 2008 and now is we have no empty S- houses. Uh, save that for the conspiracy episode. So I'm just things. throwing this out there. Okay. Canada has 1.3 million empty homes with everything going on. There's a ton of listings coming on. Nobody wants to get ho- caught holding the bag on assets that are super debt heavy. Again, just something to consider. Um... Changing lanes a little bit. Let's just talk more doom and gloom here. Um, people that were clamoring for the Great Reset. Uh, again, backtracking. When we talked about the Great Resignation, um, where we spoke about how people were kind of quitting their jobs because they had so many other options. And, you know, we talked about unionization and the strength of the workforce. Well, the layoffs, at least the the hiring freeze is, is pretty well almost universal at this point. Uh, Meta, which is, you know, Facebook, they put on a, a hiring freeze. Intel, Salesforce, basically everything in tech Amazon. Um, is on a, on a hiring freeze. We hinted at some potential layoffs like Tesla, Walmart, Amazon. Um, but especially in the in the startup world and, and the tech world, a wealth simple cut 13% of their staff. 13%. That's not insignificant. So I think those people are like, yeah, the great reset, we're doing it. It's like, no, man, like you're out of a job. Like while interest goes up on your on your home. You are it. Yeah. Um, but the tech sector and the startup sector is gonna feel the pinch because oftentimes that market gets invested in because people are pulling from their other investments that are doing great. Like, yeah, you know, let's let's throw some money at this startup here. And those startups they burn money for a significant amount of time, three to five years before they make any profit. At least. Yeah, like that is the model. And when you have a contraction and people start being a little more careful about where they're putting their money, they're going to look at what High-risk investments. Exactly. Or at least investments, that even if they're not quote-unquote high-risk, um, they've got a high burn rate. Like they're just spending money hand over fist. So there's going to be a lot of cuts. People um, sell their crypto. They sell their tech stocks. And they sell their Mustangs. <laughs> yeah, smoking <laughs> deal on that Mustang. Um, and then, uh, you know, we already talked Bitcoin, Ethereum getting trashed. Um, I want to return back to Let's do interest some, rates. Oh, what do you Well, have? before oh. we go to interest rates, I want to talk about something a little bit less, a little more cheery. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, Metaverse. Yeah. Metaverse ticks on. Nobody cares about the interest rates in the Metaverse. <laughs> They're meta interest rates. They're just, it's all fugazi. Nobody yeah, cares. exactly. Um, but no, Wendy's, like the burger chain Wendy's. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Has built, <laughs> <laughs> has built a castle in the Metaverse for their breakfast sandwich. So it's the wow. breakfast castle. Imagine there's the some, Burger King just comes over and takes it over. <laughs> he annexes the Wendy's. There is, there's some games in there. There's some obstacle courses. Really? And I believe there's something in there that you can win a free breakfast sandwich. So... If you're looking to do something this evening. Game on. Yeah. You go in there, you can game, and you can have some free sandwiches in the next day, potentially, if you're any good at the game. Um, 
the other thing I want to say, this is someone trying to address some of these things that we're facing yeah. on a more real note, is a company called Naked House. Um, and they're based out of the UK. And basically, in an effort to address housing affordability and the issues that everyone's facing, they're basically creating a package for a home that they're calling the Naked Home. And it's just super, super basic. It's effectively just a box. And the idea is hmm. that you buy that and then you build the house out as you have the availability and the money to do so. So it literally I love says this. no walls, no drywall, no finishes, basic plumbing. No financing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 true enough. Double high ceilings, so you can build a second story if you want to within. Oh, my God. Okay. And so the idea is that they're designed that you can grow into them with affordability in mind. And so the like, literally you're basically buying a box and you're working your way into it. And they're trying to address the fact that affordability is so crazy out of this world. And some people will be like, you know what? Just to own... I would buy something like this yeah, yeah. And, and build it out. And honestly, for a lot of young people, I can see a lot of young couples being like, you know what? Instead of waiting 10 years to try and get my foot into like a tiny little condo or some old beat off townhouse way outside of the city, maybe I can buy this somewhere closer to the city and it's a mm-hmm. decent sized space and we can build it out as time goes on. This might actually also lead to a transition back to people like being in trades and stuff because people start to have to actually do some of this at home. Like, well, instead of having to hire someone to build it out, We'll watch a YouTube video DIY and we'll build a wall well, inside every, of our house. Everyone's probably seen those images that get floated around. I think it was used to be able through the Hudson's Bay company, order a home. Was it Hudson's yeah. Bay or Sears catalog? Sears had them and Eaton's had them. Yeah. You um, could order these homes from a catalog that would arrive and you built the home yourself. And they were like 1500 bucks. Chandler's first duplex. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I think that, that that's what that reminds me of. Right, that used to be a thing, as crazy as it sounds, you could order a home through a catalog, it would arrive, and you would put it together with your friends and family, and you would build this house. Um, and the challenge now is meeting code requirements and land costs still being so high and, and so all that. Then I don't think they were doing it for an affordability. No. I think then it was more common for people to be hands-on with their own homes. 100%. And involved in the construction process. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people had their own builders who built homes, and it wasn't as, like, now it's very structured. Every city's got, like, builders that have to be licensed yeah, and warranted yeah. and approved. Yeah. Back then, I feel like a lot of people were like, yeah, I built my own house. A hundred percent. And so this was like a kit to allow people to yeah. build their own houses. And again, I don't know that it was an affordability crisis-based item. Because I always wonder about that. No, I'm like, no. is this something that we've had before? Like, when I see those kits, I'm like, hold up. Are we just going through a whole repeat in history where it's like... Well, a lot of those came out kind of post-World War II, right? Like, but... Um, when there was a giant boom. Yeah, yeah. And post, uh, like, Depression era. Yeah, because at least that that's here locally, right? Like, a lot of those are 50s era homes or, or, like, late 30s era homes. But... That's super cool. Yeah. This was, uh, I just, I saw that and I was like, you know, that's an interesting one. There's a lot of other projects and I actually have a project on the go that I'll release hopefully on here in the next month or two uh, with something kind of similar, I'm hoping, um, with with some stuff like that. So I think there's going to be a lot of changes in general just with how people operate from this. Again, I try not to see, like, I'm like, is this just recency bias Mm -hmm. where this is just happening now? Um, Or is there a general change? Like, is this different than it has been before where... The difference is the costs are high and the inventory is not there. But now I have all this doubt in my mind where having seen that where there's 1.3 million vacant homes in Canada, I'm like, maybe this mm. isn't any different than what we have had before. And maybe we're just being feeling an illusion based on the way it's being presented to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't feel like I see that news article anywhere. That article is from February and I haven't heard anyone talk about it to the point yeah, where you made me even question it. And I went back and looked at it because when I first saw it, still it I was like, doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, yeah. But and it shows it breaks them down by province. Like it shows uh, it shows. Nova Scotia having around, 
Uh, based off this chart, roughly around 40,000 empty houses. Ontario has 500,000. I, I, I'd BC love to see like a breakdown of, of like uh, how much of those are secondary properties that's taken some time. How much is new? Like I'd just be really curious to, to see. There's definitely a high out. percentage of them being secondary properties. Yeah. And it says like resort towns carry the most vacant homes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that 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 makes yeah. total sense. But it it speaks to a frustration out there that people would would feel, and you know maybe that some of the the skewed data like it's not an accurate measure. Because like supply is being hoarded a little bit in some way, but even if that shrinks down though, like we said, like that's an enormous number. Mm-hmm. So even if you shrink that by like half or seventy five percent, that's still a scary number of, of vacant homes. Well, people unload homes, right? Like so, say mm-hmm. half of those. You say even you know twenty five percent of those homes get unloaded because people no longer can service the debt on them. I would say the same yeah. principle we just said. What gets sold first? Your cryptos, your high high risk investments, the cottage, <laughs> things you don't need. Yeah. You're gonna sell your house or your cottage? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna sell your cottage. So those things start flooding the market, and depending on where you're located, like they're going to impact even your local market, right? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about uh, two things here, just when we're kind of shooting around different different topics. Hit me. Um, two things that are going to be two words that are coming up more and more. I see them online, so I thought they're worth mentioning. The first one is shrinkflation. And no, that's not what happens when Neil gets out of a cold shower. <laughs> um, no, that's shrink- a disappearing act. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Oh, that's so funny. Um, no, shrinkflation. Well, everyone may have noticed this. Like, you pay the same amount for the bag of chips, or you pay the same amount for the bundle of bananas, but all of a sudden there are less chips in it or there are less bananas. Bananas um, by the pound. So that was a bad example. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of a sudden they start. You mean, you mean like a package of berries, a package of berries is a prime one. I feel like growing up back in the good old days, a package of berries was enormous, full of berries, huge, like the size of this lamp sitting on our desk. Yeah. And, maybe and now they're like these, and they're, yeah. it was two ninety nine. Yeah. Now they sell two ninety nine, but it's this razor thin package that's only the thickness of one berry. Exactly. So you pay the same price, so that doesn't appear, you know, at first glance to be inflation, but the actual what you get for that same amount of money is less. So it's called shrinkflation. You might see that around, and you're probably going to see some memes because there was a great one on on shelves. It was like sixty three in this package for one price, and then right beside it there was one that was like sixty one. It's actually They're being in, sold together. It's infuriating. Two things I want to say. I was using a, um, I'm going through an immunotherapy allergy treatment thing because I'm allergic to dogs and I would like to get a dog. So I'm doing this right now. Um, and even that, I'm imagining at one point the, the vial used to come full and now I'm getting to the bottom of this vial and the whole like center of the vial, like the bottom is like half an inch thick and then it's, it's like nippled all the way up. So like it looks like you're getting a full vial when you get mm-hmm. it. But it's actually they filled it all with the glass and that the inside of it goes all the way up. It's like a wine bottle. The bottom of the wine bottle goes all the way up. I'm sure there's some purpose for that as well. Yeah, yeah. But there's also an aspect of like making it seem more than what it really is. Same like perfume. Perfume super bad for that. The glass is like an inch and a half thick. Yeah. And the inside is concave and it goes all the way up. Um, Yeah. Well, these are all examples of shrinkflation where you're getting less for the same sticker price. So you as a consumer don't really notice like, oh, yeah, I buy buy these every week and they're the same price. But now they're smaller and smaller and smaller. Last thing I want to point out with that, and they're going to do really well during this time. And the person who uses shrinkflation the best and uses it at all times of the year, dollar stores. Oh, yeah. They are the master. You go there like, oh, it's only a dollar for this, like a sponge. And like, oh, I saw that same sponge at Superstore for $1.99. 
grab that sponge from the dollar store, go to the superstore. The one at the superstore is probably bigger than the dollar store. Mm-hmm. The dollar stores will shrink up the packaging and make it look like the exact same. And you won't notice because it's on the shelf there. And you obviously can't have the two right in front of you to compare. But everything they have there will be slightly smaller, slightly less in the package. Yeah. and But they'll give you the same size packaging to make you think that you're getting the exact same product. For a buck or two bucks or whatever yeah. it is. It, they are the masters of it. Yeah, it's the bait and switch. So that's what shrinkflation is if you see that out there, which which you will, but you might come across the term. The other one is stagflation. And again, we talked about this in an episode a long time ago. So I'm like, man, we're going to have stagflation. We're going to have stagflation. And typically, um, when inflation is high, and that's when the economy is humming along, you've got really low unemployment. And we've been in here doing episodes being like, man, unemployment dropped again. Mm-hmm. Like, there's... You know, that's great. The employment rate is super high. Inflation and, you know, inflation as it's high, unemployment is low. And by contrast, when inflation is low, the economy's not growing as quickly, unemployment is higher. Mm-hmm. There's a rare exception to that when there's what's called stagflation, when you've got super high inflation, but also higher than normal unemployment. And that's what we're headed to because... Not a great, not a great combo, not no, a good, no, it's, rare it's, scenario. It's the worst thing. Everything's more expensive and more people are out of work. And it typically is caused, like if you looked at history, it's when there's gigantic shifts that kind of cause a contraction in supply because all of a sudden there's something that's, um, you know, driven all the prices up with no real change in, in aggregate demand. And, um, you know, as a result of that, there's there's job loss, but the pricing is still going up and up and up as you kind of slide leftward on your aggregate demand, aggregate supply curve there. Um, and that's where we're, we're going right now because the big increase in this case is oil. And this is why I don't feel these central banks can control inflation the way they think because oil is not just at your gas. Like, it's not just when you fill up your car. That's not the real cost of oil as it trickles throughout the economy. It's everything. And everything nothing, you buy is shipped. Yeah. Everything you buy, everything you touch, everything you do is, is goes through all, even a lot of the products are oil-based products. So it impacts absolutely everything that you're going to go through. And no interest rate is going to suddenly stop like the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Like there are things beyond the control of these central banks. So the question then becomes, how much are they going to break as collateral damage by jacking up these rates to control inflation, which newsflash, they may not be able to control. So stagflation is this rare occurrence where inflation is still going up, but unemployment also rises as well. It's it's a bad situation. It's a recipe for disaster. And I I honestly think that there's definitely going to be, like, I think this is going to be a longer blowout than a lot of people are anticipating. I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, is this like, again, it's been all roses for so long. And I feel like it got extended by the fact that COVID kind of like gave us this extra bump. Um, is this going to be like for anyone who's new or just started getting into the game or building their business or getting their investment portfolio growth during this most recent growth window? Is this going to be like when you fall off your bike and then you're a little more scared to get back on and do something? Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like if you're, you're a little bit ballsy and you go off a jump and you break your arm, then every time going off that jump, you're going to be slightly less confident. Well, think of how many people were so bullish at the start, like when the economy started humming. They're like, oh, I'm branching out on my own. I'm yeah. doing this now. I'm getting my real estate license. Things are up. Like, but this is why this is why the previous generation. Like, whenever I listen, I mean, there's yeah. definitely some that listen from the previous generation, and they're so concerned about a lot of people getting into business. And I look at like even the advice and some of the the people that talked to me as I was getting started. And they're like, well, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. I'm like, oh my god, but it's all roses. Everything's great. Everything's amazing. Like, let's do this. And now I'm like, well, now I can maybe see why a lot of them had those concerns because maybe they've seen this this cycle before, and it was. But it was triggered by different things. 
So they're not necessarily lining up the fact that this is the exact same concept of what's about to take place because it was triggered through different stuff, whether it may be a war, um, an oil crisis, an energy crisis, whatever it is. In this case, we are having like, we might have a, all of them, like a war, an energy crisis, and a real mm-hmm. estate crisis. Yeah. Um, but is there, is there, so they're removing the direct connection so that the previous generation's unable to give that guidance to the younger gen. But the younger gen's about to find out, like, this is why everyone's concerned. And that's why a lot of people yeah. push for, towards, like, get education and get a standardized job. Well, when you think of, um, we've all, we've been out there selling houses where, I'm you know, out. we got uh, the, the junior version and then the parent comes along. And what's one of the things the parent talks about when it comes to mortgage rates? Well, back in my day. It was 39%. Yeah. And so what did they do? Like, they saved, they put more money down, they did all these things. And they're trying to impose that life experience onto these kids who all they know is a debtor existence and are like, well, interest rates now are this and things are different now, mom and dad. Like, maybe this is that little shock to the system that changes how we then talk to our kids 20 years from now. Uh, when they're taking on debt, but I don't know. I don't know. And we'll see. This is the other thing: is the idea was that you could, for like the last ten years, you could always take on debt and make a higher return somewhere else. Yeah, but it's quickly getting to a point where it's like, yeah. uh, maybe no, no, it's interesting point. Make yeah. a higher return on this money, and so maybe it's better to be paying down the debt, which takes more money out of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, man, lots of crazy stuff covered here. Uh, I don't know how we're doing for time. If you've listened this long, you obviously like it. So press the like button. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you got something else? Because I want to nerd out a little bit on variable rates for a second. Uh, no, I just had a, I had a hypothetical, but we're at about 50 minutes. So like, let's... Uh... Well, this isn't going to be that complicated, but I've just... We've gotten this question so much about variable rates. And and one of the challenges with Bank of Canada struggling to find effectiveness is a lot of people just don't know much about rates. Um, and, you know, they respond almost more to the narrative out there surrounding the sky falling as opposed to like the actual impact of the rates, but people are going to feel them. Um, if anyone was curious, just wanted to quickly break down how the bank rate trickles down to variable rates, because that's the closest connector you've got is the bank of Canada rate, the overnight rate and your variable rate and your line of credit rate and, and things like that. So all the banks in Canada, they keep a little bit of money, like the reserve money on hand, and then they have a bunch of debt effectively floating out there, a bunch of money that they've loaned out to people. And you can imagine that in theory, if everyone went down to the bank and said, hey, you know, I want all my money out of my bank account. And if everyone did that on the same day, the bank would quickly realize they don't have enough money to cover all that. So what mm-hmm. they do is they keep some sort of reserve ratio that, okay, if we've got, you know, a billion dollars total uh, and we're lending most of it out. We want to keep like 15% of it on hand because at any given time, not everyone's going to come in and get their money, but enough people might come in that we might want to policy that dictates that liquidity. Yeah, yeah. There, there is a, a minimal requirement, but there's just their own kind of fiscal planning of like how much do we want to keep on hand. But if you realize any given day, I might go and spend my Scotiabank money uh, at an institution that, you know, redeems it from a, uh, a TD account or vice versa. And these banks effectively every night have shortfalls and surpluses as they short-term loan each other money. So I go to an ATM that's branded RBC. I take the money out, but that money's actually with me at Scotiabank and so on. So there would be a, a deficit there between the two banks. When the Bank of Canada sets its rate, it is effectively saying 
the rate that they would take money and lend money to the big banks, right? And as a result, those banks, when they have their shortfall from one another, that they effectively are loaning each other money, that is based on the same rate that the Bank of Canada loans and and borrows money from those banks. So the bank, when they set um, their rate, their overnight rate at 1.5%, that's saying, you know, if one of you is short money to the other um, for this night, you're going to pay interest of it of 1.5% because that's the same as what I would charge you. you. Yeah. So that's the basic deal of the overnight rate. And from that, the banks then set their prime rate. So this is the rate that they're then comfortable charging their best clients out there, right? So they say, okay, if I have shortfalls every night and I get charged 1.5% interest, what interest rate do I feel comfortable floating around there to my best clients? 7.99. At least that's what they gave me, and I'm one of their better ones. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, the average prime rate in Canada is about 3.7% if you kind of summarize all the major banks. So they know that if they have a shortfall every night between themselves and other banks, um, they have to pay 1.5% on that. So they're comfortable lending out to their their best borrowers at a prime rate, right now about 3.7%. As the bank's Bank of Canada rate goes up, they raise their prime rate. Now, if you are on a variable product, you have a variable mortgage, you have something that is quoted to you as prime minus X. So you might be prime minus 0.2, which since prime is 3.7, that means your current variable rate would be 3.5. Or maybe you crushed it. Maybe you've got like prime minus 0.75. So you could still be running at like 3.7 minus 0.75. You could still have a variable rate at 2.95. As the Bank of Canada raises its overnight rate, it doesn't affect um, your discount, right? Your, Your minus. What it affects is the prime rate that the bank is out there. And by contrast, you might have a line of credit that's prime plus something um, and and so on. So that is how the Bank of Canada rate, which is the behind the scenes rate rate for when the banks effectively borrow from each other every night, that's how that impacts the prime rate and in turn your mortgage. Maybe no one cared about that. But just something people should know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. No, that was good. That was a good explanation. I liked it a lot. Which is very different than fixed rates. And fixed rates are on the rise, but for me, kind of a different it's reason. Making me think that my bank is screwing me. Why? What's your problem? I'm messing, I'm messing. Yeah, yeah. Me. I don't. You know, so every product's so different, honestly, and they, they swing them around, and so it's hard to to honestly keep up with all of it because, like, for construction, they end up getting like they have to factor in risk and the overhead involved in running these products and all yeah. these other things, and so it's with this many different products out there, like, it's hard to honestly keep it all in line. But again, I'm just gonna quickly spew why I again am considering. Uh, fixed rates if I don't intend to do anything with the property um, it's to avoid that stressor that I have a renewal coming up that I'm not going to be ready for um, or mm-hmm. that they continue to raise rates up that 400 basis points that they have in the past right like yeah fine if they only go up 200 basis points I'm like all right yeah variable makes more sense but I don't know if I'm comfortable enough to bank my stuff against that knowing what I've seen in the past like if you look at the interest rate hikes like the chart in the in the past, lots of times they've done over 400, 500 basis points over the course of time. Um, not in two months, over two years, three years, but it's just, I think it's something to consider, If especially if you're not planning to do something with this property or if you're in your head like, I'm going to hang tight, then I would probably hang tight by doing a, a fix and doing a, like a three-year or four-year because I think that's when you'll see the rates come back down around. I don't think like a one-year, 
kind of freaks me out because I think in one year from now, why well, I, I don't want to say I know, but rates will likely be higher in a year from today. But a fair bit. A lot of people that are panicked right now yeah. don't even know what their actual variable rate in this moment is. Right. And you mm. gave all these examples of like, oh, if this changes, it goes up by 250. If this change goes up by 500, so on. But I'm telling you, everyone listening to this that's on a variable rate right now, you are worst case scenario, 3.7%. Most of you are likely 3.2%. And by the time this airs, the fixed rate for a residential mortgage, I'm not talking commercial, I'm talking residential mortgage, is going to be around 5%. And I know there's a pretty big difference, or I know that variable rate is going to continue to rise, but 3.2 versus 5%. I mean, that's a 1.8 gap. That's 180 basis points. Okay, we've already well, gone up. You're, like, we've already gone up 50, 50. <laughs> we're going to go 70. We've already gone up about, a, we're effectively well, in what four is it? weeks' in, time. In 90, in 90 days, 120 days, we're up 175 basis points, which yeah. is why I'm saying it. To fix up another 180 is not a big deal. Right, but that I'm just saying that that is still just to get us effectively to even where the fixed rate is today. Yeah, 100%. Right? Like, that is a lot. And people griping like, well, I can't believe how much it's gone up. It's like, right, so then you're going to voluntarily pay an extra 150 points? Like, now isn't the time, in my opinion, to, to you, lock in. I mean, you should have done it in the past, but I still don't think, I don't think we're anywhere near, That's, I don't think you're anywhere yeah. near the top. I hate that argument of like, should have done it in the past. Like, they were literally saying, we're not going to raise the rates. And so you would have to have been like, I well, believe you, you, that Bank of there Canada was, there was no, There was no way to know. But yeah. my, my thing is, you're coming, in my opinion, honestly, coming from a place of comfort where it's like, if those rates go up, you can you can service that debt as those rates go up. I don't think a lot of people have that comfort level to service as it goes up. Dude, if so, you can't service 3.2, how are you going to opt into a voluntary 5%? I'm not saying, no, 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 no. I'm not saying they can't service a 3.2. What I'm saying is if this goes up another two, 300 basis points, and now this is five and a half, six, six and a half, seven, then they can't do it. But that's that's you're talking an additional 400 basis points on on top of the 175 we already have. And I also I well, know. you can beat five. It's I don't think that I don't think the spread's that big. If you depending on what on what package you go with, that's the other thing. You're going I think with like a five year, and they're going to give you a five to try and cover their ass. There's also a reason that they're doing a five. There's these fixed rates, like they're doing that because they have to hedge against the fact that they know that the rates are going to go up a bunch. If they expect them to go down a bunch, they're not going to put your your fixed term at five percent because they. Like, it's just not going to happen. This is, they're doing a 5% because the rates are going to go up a fair bit more. Like, that's an indicator in itself. If you're going to get a fixed yeah. term and they're way up, all those numbers on the fixed term, that's a point guaranteed sign that they're they're going to keep cranking this number. T totally, because there is a relationship between fixed and those prime rates like I just talked about. But the fixed rates are more related to the, the other thing is, Someone might be like, look, with this, I know my payment for the next three years is going to be 1500 bucks. Right. With this... I can't go to sleep at night because at the end of every month, there could be another another two hundred bucks tacked to my mortgage, and it might be fifteen hundred in six months from now, and in a year it could be eighteen hundred, two grand. And right. not everyone like if you're on a, yeah. a standardized pay system, you don't have the opportunity to increase your payment and how much money you're making. So so let, let's let's unpack this hypothetical, yeah. right? Someone's at three point two percent right now, mm -hmm. right? And let's say that that works at twelve hundred dollars a month on their mortgage. Yeah. I wish we could calculate these super quick, but say they go to five percent, uh, they 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 would opt into maybe maybe say they opt into like a four point eight percent fixed right now. That payment is going to go to like sixteen hundred bucks. Yeah, I understand. Like you get security at that sixteen hundred bucks, but it is going to take. Let's see, one hundred and eighty. I mean, like if if things go badly, I honestly feel that twelve hundred would cap out maybe at like seventeen fifty. 
for a short period of time, then start coming back down. And that's not going to be, that would be in six months. So you get this better rate, you save up a significant amount in the interim before it hits that high. Like you're, See, you're, you're, I just had someone to just do one right now. This is even on commercial money. And a five-year fix was 4.5. You're making the spread between your fix and your variables way higher. Man, you Google right now residential mortgages. And it's like but they never do. that When you Google them, that's not the actual rate that you're going to walk out with. It's always lower. Always, those posted rates are a, not. Oh, you get a commercial 4.5% for five years? five-year fix commercial 4.5, four-year fix 4.41. Three-year, 4.27. So that's what those I'm are saying. pretty good, actually. <laughs> those, that's what I'm saying. And yeah, that, that, was, that was a commercial mortgage. It would have been lower on the, if they did it, if they did it uh, residentially. So that's what I mean. Like, I don't think the spread is 180 basis points or 200 basis points. I think well, part of that is going to depend, you're right, on, on like what your prime minus is on your variable. And it is going to depend on how good of a borrower you are on your residential. Man, but if you go across the major banks right now, I don't know if you're going to get better than 4.75% on a residential mortgage right now. I just don't think you are. Anyway, yeah, they're they're those, they're those posting calls now. No, I'm looking I'm looking at what they are right now. Um, so they're posting, but I think you could beat this. Like you're saying, so it's a five, it's five percent and three point three. So it is 170 on their website, but it never is that. Like every time I've gone and gotten a mortgage, their post is five, and my guys always like, okay, it comes up to actually be like four point six. Like I can always, they can always, always, always beat those posted rates. Yeah, those are it's like it's, it's a sales job. It's it's anything they offer. I'm trying to find yeah. one of these. Websites. I just think there is meat on the bone there. Yeah, look, but, so here, but like it's hard to, 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 to say people are like, I here, can't here. afford it now at 1200. You want me to voluntarily opt into 1600? Here, look, 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 look. This is, and this is what I'm saying. And this is, this is something that I've actually found more accurate. It's ratehub.ca. Fucking free ads. We're doing two today. But five-year fixed rates. The first one, 3.69% residential under. Second one? You know that that's second one crazy. Five-year fixed, 3.84%. Yeah, man, those are bait and switch. No one's getting those. Bank of Montreal, 4.5%. Desjardins, 4.6%. For all five-year fixed. Yeah. So BMO and Desjardins are, you know, more credible lenders than whatever the first They are, but but still. But those are going to be things like... No, but I found the rate hub numbers are the actual numbers that you walk out of the bank with. Those are going to be things like you have to close inside of 30 days and you have to have this and have to have that, blah, 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 blah. They'll have some... Clo- they'll have, so but they might have if some we want to hedge and say 4.75, I still think there's a spread there. Yeah, there's 150 basis points. Also, you know... Two, three years from now, if you want to refine, you're into a five-year, mm. right? That penalty is it, going to well, be this, more it depends on what than everything yeah. But if you're in a residential property or you're not necessarily like, you're an active investor, but you're not like constantly moving and shaking uh, and buying a property every three months like we are, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, and you, you do I, need I to cover your, you need it, to cover but, your yeah. bases is my thing, yeah. man. Like, if we have a shortfall, we're like, all right, we're going to go out and work really hard and clean that shortfall up. Yeah. It's not, not everyone's that fortunate. Well, then those same people can't voluntarily opt into the shortfall. I guess, like, yeah. like You know what I mean? Like, so this, uh, and I guess that is all to say that people are between a rock and a hard place. Um, but the first thing I would tell people is. Sell all your real estate. <laughs> call me. <laughs> let's, let's, let's sell it. But no, know what your actual variable rate is. Some people yeah. be like, oh, you know, my variable rate, like, you know, I don't know what to do here. Uh, what are your thoughts? And I go, well, what's your variable rate? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, well, man, like there are people out there who've got a variable rate right now that's still under 3%. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, say you have prime minus. Yeah, there's 2.8s and shit out there. Like, yeah. so you're going to tell someone, like, even if it is, even if you get one of these Neil's, you know, a rate that Neil got off the internet. Call me, I do mortgage brokering. <laughs> like, say it's 4.5. You're going to voluntarily opt in from like 2.9 to 4.5 because you can't pay the 2.9. So you feel really good about having the 4.5 for the next five years. 
I mean, you're saying and that a penalty. Now? And, and, and you get two years in that we, realize, we're oh, crap, this now I need to sell months it? from now and fixed rates or, or variable rates are at the same rate or higher. I can't wait. I can't either. We got a better, we got to catalog this stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, fixed rates because fixed rates are not really directly related to the overnight rate. They're re- related to bond yields. We can talk about that another time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Smash, like, boom, all that good stuff. Shoot us messages like you guys are. Again, appreciate everyone following along. Hopefully this is helpful. That's our intention with this is to try and unpack some stuff, just get our opinions out there. We are not financial advisors, so don't do either of the things we just said. <laughs> and, do uh, both and neither. Exactly. Thanks for listening. Hashtag shrinkage. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.